Um, I'm going to pray again. So, Lord, I just continue to come before you, God, and I agree with Carrie. Lord, I ask that you would awaken our hearts. You would open up our ears, God. I ask that you would come and you would surprise us even in these next few hours, Lord, that you would surprise us with a spirit of revelation. Lord, I ask that you would tell us what is on your heart concerning the times and the seasons and the song that you're wanting to raise up for such a time as this. God, I ask that you would impart your heart to us today. Amen. How many of you are singers and musicians? Wow. Looks like I'm in the right crowd. <laughs> That's, oh, this is awesome. Wow. Well, I've been, I've been singing and playing music since I was probably about, since I was born. My mom's a music teacher, so I grew up with a lot of music. But I didn't really start doing singing until I moved here and started doing the house of prayer. So for me, music and prayer are synonymous, or at least singing and prayer have become synonymous in my heart and in my, my mind. I never approach music or singing outside of prayer. And so I'm, that's my approach. So over and over, even today, when I'm mentioning the song of the Lord, you can always just put prayer right there with it. To me, it's the same thing. The song of the Lord, singing, prophetic music, all of it is under the banner of the spirit of prayer. I think that musicians and singers who have a spirit of prayer are probably one of the rarest entities on the planet. And yet it's the one thing that the Lord is after. One of the greatest things that he's after in this hour that we live in is young men and young women, old men, old women, musicians, singers who are anointed with a spirit of prayer to play and to sing and enter into the prophetic. I think it was Shelley who said yesterday that there's not there's no prophet who's not a person of prayer. And I would say the same thing about a prophetic singer or a prophetic musician. You cannot be a prophetic musician or a prophetic singer only by focusing on music. Although we want to focus on music, we want to grow, we want to, we want to learn that side of it, but you have to become a man or a woman of prayer if you want to be a, I think of, of worship leaders and musicians as kind of like the door opener, the doorkeeper between heaven and earth. And if you want to be that doorkeeper, you have to be in tune with what's going on and the heavenlies. So I want to start out with the three different stages I believe that are in the song of the Lord. And if you want to write, if you want to take notes, I'll give you some scriptures as well. I think that there are three uh, powerful different levels of the song of the Lord. And if we don't understand the different phases, we kind of get discouraged. Because I've heard sermons on the song of the Lord and the new sound or, you know, the big grandiose thing that's going to happen. And then I'm at my keyboard with my two chords, you know, C and F and occasionally the A minor. You know, that's me. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to do the math. Like, okay, how do I get from here to... The Lord's going to show his power. The Lord's going to come back and da-da-da-da-da. And if I don't know the stages of the song of the Lord, I get really discouraged. And I think, ah, it's not for me. Or I'm not called to do it. My sister was a singer and a musician. And she was always really good. She did all the singing in the church. And so I never would sing in front of anybody. I, I always thought I was more of a... I didn't know what I was, but I didn't think of myself as a singer. So I would sing a lot of times in my closet, just at the piano. Um, I felt very inadequate as a musician, for sure. Very inadequate as a singer. It wasn't something that I... I saw myself doing, but until I understood the stages of it and the smallness of it and that the Lord is working humility in our lives by starting small and then going, growing with it. Once I bought into that reality, I had a, um, a strength to say steady. And so that's kind of what, mostly what I want to talk about today. But first, I want to kind of give you a big picture of the song of the Lord and where I believe it's going. Well, first of all, what is the song of the Lord? 
I mean, we hear this like phrase, the song, that's a pretty big phrase, the song of the Lord. I mean, that I'm kind of scared to call what I do sometimes the song of the Lord. I mean, that's intense, <laughs> you know, to put his name on something. It's that's serious. I think of the song of the Lord as, um, you could say the prophetic song, the new song. There's many different phrases that people use for the song of the Lord, but basically what it is in Hebrews, um, and Hebrews, where is it? Hebrews two, 11 through 12. If you want to jot this down, it's one of my one that, that talks about the song of the Lord. It says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. And he says, I will declare your name, speaking of the Father, to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, and I will sing praise to you. So Jesus is saying, I will sing in the midst of the assembly, and I will declare the nature of the Father in the midst of the assembly. I mean, that blows my mind, that one phrase. I will sing in the midst of the assembly. Now, how does Jesus sing in the midst of the assembly? I mean, think about it. He's not exactly on the earth right now. How does he sing in the midst of the assembly? He's the head and we are the body. We are the expression of what's going on in his heart. We are the expression of what he's thinking and of what he's feeling. We are the expression of, of the song of the Lord. What he's singing and, and as he stands before the Father and he's interceding or he's singing over the earth and he's declaring the heart of the Father as he's singing the song, it's coming through us. And so the main way that we get into the song of the Lord is relationship. We have to know him. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it talks about how the spirit searches the deep things of God so that he can reveal it to us. I mean, have you ever just thought about that for a minute? Like, how do you know God, the uncreated, uncontained, outside of time being we so flippantly call God? I mean, the one we think we know. You know what I'm saying? By the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a prophetic musician or a prophetic singer, you need to be one that fellowships with the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. You can't just get up on stage one day with a microphone and, and all of a sudden go, Oh God, come, 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 quick, quick, quick. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And all of a sudden you're going to get downloaded. I mean, sometimes that would happen. I'm assuming that happens sometimes. But living a lifestyle of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and knowing the deep things of his heart and then giving expression through that in in singing or in music. I mean, think about the emotions of God, the deep emotions he feels on so many levels. I mean, think about the fact that we're made in his image, right? And we have all these emotions from A to Z. We feel so much. He feels so much times a billion And how is that emotion going to be expressed through music, through song? I mean, it's a powerful, powerful reality. When I was younger, I kind of went through a phase where I decided I hated music because I thought it was so manipulative. And I was truth, and I wanted absolute truth and only truth. And and so I just said, enough of music. I don't want anything that affects my emotions or manipulates me. And so I just kind of got into this funk where I didn't want anything that wasn't absolute truth. And the Lord had to like pry my heart open again. And and he had to say, this is something that I'm breathing on. And the enemy has taken it in so many ways. And he's played on the emotions of people on the darker side of emotions and just the fleshly side or the dark side. And the Lord wants to totally, totally redeem it and put his emotions in music so that we can be, we can express those emotions and we can get a whole stadium of people or a whole, you know, globe of people feeling and thinking and saying and singing the same thing at the same time. I mean, how do you get one heart, one mind, one voice if you're not singing? I mean, unless you're chanting, 
which is kind of like singing anyway. There's no other way to get everybody going and feeling the same thing at the same time. Music is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. This thing called music, this, this thing called the song of the, of the Lord, excuse me. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. I believe that again, to the three phases, I think that there's the initial release of the song of the Lord, which is mostly what I'm going to focus on today. Cause I think we're mostly in the initial, I mean, we're at the beginning, right? We're just trying this thing out. Most of us in this room are just at the beginning. And then there's the substantial release, which is what I would call presence worship. That's when God shows up. That's when the little guitar player plays the guitar chord and demons start leaping out of people. The paralytic gets up and starts dancing and the deaf can start hearing. I mean, we're talking about presence worship when, when the fear of God touches people's hearts and they really believe that there's a God. You know, the reality of God breaks into a room with presence and a weightiness. That would be the substantial release. And then there's the ultimate release. And I believe that the ultimate release, the ultimate expression of the song of the Lord at the end of the age will usher in the second coming of Jesus. I believe that we are in the generation that the Lord is going to return. And if you're in this, this community of believers, you probably hear that phrase a lot, the generation that the Lord returns. But sometimes I just sit and I just think about it. You know, just think about that phrase. We're talking about the little Jewish man, brown eyes, brown hair, son of David, Jesus of Nazareth. The carpenter is coming back. He's been dead 2,000 years, and we believe he's coming back in this generation. Do you know how radical that is? Do you know how crazy that sounds? But I believe through the studying of the scripture and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we are in, we are in that generation. And if that be true then this is the generation that the Lord wants to pour out an anointing on musicians and singers like never before. Because it is the song of the Lord that releases his activity in the world and the globe. It's one of the primary ways that release his activity and it also stirs up his heart. And it's what Mike's been talking about in Revelation when it says that the spirit and the bride cry come and you get this picture from the north to the south, you know, from the ends of the earth. There's this, the, all over the globe, there's the people, the believers in the identity of a bride crying out, come. There's this lovesick cry, this longing arising all across the globe, looking up to the sky and just saying to that little man on the throne going, come back. Like things are not going to be right until you return. Things are not going to be just until you come back. Things are not okay on this side of time until you are setting up your kingdom in Jerusalem until you come back to, to that little nation and rule from the midst of Zion. And there's this growing lovesick cry. And I love that phrase, lovesick. It talks about in Song of Solomon how the bride is lovesick. And I believe that even in some of you sitting in this room, the Lord has begun to stir in your spirit a lovesick cry that things are not okay until Jesus comes back to the planet. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. When nothing else satisfies, you feel slightly miserable. You know, your friends think you're just melancholy. And maybe you are. I'm slightly melancholy. But there's this stirring going on inside of you that says nothing will satisfy. It's the Holy Spirit working the cry of come, Lord Jesus, come. We've tried this. We've tried that. And we've tried a lot of different things. And at the end of the day, only he can satisfy. I believe that the Lord is anointing musicians and singers with a lovesick heart. 
the kind of heart that King David had, the kind of heart that Isaiah had, the kind of heart that John the Beloved had. I believe that he's anointing singers and musicians who have a vision for something bigger than this life, for something bigger than what's right in front of you. I mean, do you know how powerful it is to have a vision for something bigger than what's right in front of you? I mean, it's the most liberating feeling in all of life when I can get caught up even for a moment in the big picture. How many of you kind of know what I'm talking about? I don't touch it that often because I'm so self-absorbed and self-consumed. But occasionally I touch that big picture and I touch the, the vastness of the drama of what God's doing and the little tiny part that I get to play in it. And it's exhilarating. It's like divine perspective. You know, small things get really small and big things get really big. I think that he wants to give us as singers and as musicians a divine perspective where we wouldn't be just trapped with with feeling inadequate or comparing ourselves. I think that musicians and singers are some of the most competitive people on the planet and that we would not be comparing ourselves with ourselves and and uh, jealousies and the contentions and the little things of life that are, are pulling us back from his presence, but that we could get caught up in the big picture and we would say, Lord, whatever part in that symphony that you want me to play, I'll play it. You want me to play the piccolo? I'll play the piccolo. Whatever part in the symphony that you want me to play, I'm going to play with all of my heart and get caught up into it. In Isaiah 42, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, the new song is mentioned, I think it's mentioned about nine times. And seven of those nine times, it's directly related to the second coming, which I think is really interesting. And the other two are, are in the Psalms where David's talking about deliverance. So I've heard many teachings on the new sound and it's going to be like, you know, techno music or something. I don't know. Now you hear all these teachings like back in, back in the day and then when it comes and goes with the wind and you realize that was not it. <laughs> and who knows? I love all that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of, of sounds and rhythms and da 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 that the Lord's going to breathe on. But I believe what he's talking about with the new song is because he's doing a new thing. In Revelation, it talks about how they sing a new song and they're looking at him and they're going, worthy is the lamb who is slain to take the scroll and open the seals. In other words, you were silent like a lamb. You came like a baby. You know, all the songs that we've been singing, you've redeemed us out of every tongue and tribe. We'll sing those songs forever. But there's a new song that he's releasing at this point in time. And it's, it, there, again, it's so broad, so I wouldn't limit it to this, but it's, The spirit and the bride saying, come. In other words, take the scroll and open the seals. Do you know what that means? That means the book of Revelation. Has anybody read the book of Revelation lately? That's terrifying. Do you understand? I mean, that's a terrifying song at the end of the age that they're all singing. Take the scroll and open the seals. It's that lovesickness that's been worked in the hearts of the believers that says, whatever it takes, if it takes the book of Revelation to get you back to the planet then bring on the book of Revelation. And I don't say that lightly because I've studied it a little bit and that's a terrifying statement. And Isaiah 42, it's the same time period. And we'll start in verse 10. It says, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. I think Mike talked a little bit about this this morning. He told me he took my notes. I was like, <laughs> but he didn't tell you that I actually got it from him. That's the tricky part. <laughs> So it says, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, 
You coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages and all the inhabitants sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a mighty man of war. He shall cry out. Yes, he shall shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. This is intense. In the first part of Isaiah 42, it talks about how Jesus came silent and he came quiet. And, you know, you picture Isaiah 53 when it says he's led to the lamb, to the slaughter like a lamb, and he's silent like a lamb. And then all of a sudden, there's this transition and the verse right before verse 10, it says, it says that he's doing, he says, the former things have come to pass, but behold, I tell you a new thing. If you want to be a prophetic singer, a prophetic musician, you have to get, you have to be, uh, you have to know what the hour and the time that we're living in. All your songs are not going to be about the lion of the tribe of Judah. All your, your prophetic songs are not going to be with a shout, but a lot of them will be. And a lot of them will be love songs. But he says here, he names seven different places that the song of the Lord is, is going to come from, which pretty much covers us all, I think. I mean, I'm from like a Podunkville, small, small town, little, tiny town in Texas. <laughs> How many of you are from little, tiny towns in the backside of nowhere? Yeah, these are my people. <laughs> I'm from a little, tiny, tiny town. And then there's people from the big cities. There's people from the north to the south. It says from the ends of the earth. This is exciting to me, that the Lord is raising up something. It's all over the globe. It's not just what we're doing here in Kansas City, obviously. It's not just what we're doing locally. There is something going on globally because he's about to shout. And he wants to express that shout through singers and musicians. And I want to get into the flow of that. That's the big picture of where it's ultimately going. I see the stadiums being full, you know, being full. And the, can you imagine a whole stadium and the wave of God blowing or, or sweeping across that stadium with maybe it's a chorus or it's a, it's a certain melody that one of the guitar players is playing or it's a rhythm. Or there's, there's some kind of unction on the music and the whole arena is caught up in a spirit of prayer and the, the declaring that Jesus is coming or declaring the high prayer praises of God. You know, in, in Psalm 149, it talks about the high praises of God that will be on their lips, that will execute vengeance on kings. I mean, can you imagine where this thing is going? It's so much bigger than what we can even see. But we have to be faithful in the beginning stages. So that's the, that's the, big, that's the big, big picture. So what do we do today? Like, what do we do right now? How do we start this thing? I think about King David a lot because David had this David had this revelation and Psalm 22, three, it says that, um, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And some translation says that he inhabits the praise of his people. I like the word inhabit. It means he lives there. He lives in the praises of his people. Do you understand what a, a massive statement that is? God inhabits praise. Like what? God inhabits praise. I mean, I bet this like blows my mind. The Genesis one God shows up in praise. We're talking about the, the the guy who hung the stars in space. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this isn't a small scripture. 
He inhabits the praise of his people or he's enthroned, which is also a good word because it speaks of government. Like his government is released in the song. His government is released in the praise as we declare who he is in the midst of darkness. It's like turning on the light. It's like, like setting a lamp in the middle of a dark room and all of a sudden there's light. It's warfare. You know, praise is warfare because he lives there. He is light. And so when we, when we magnify him, we turn on the light, so to speak. He shows up. And praise. And King David had this reality. I'm not exactly sure how he got it. I, I always picture David in Podunkville. Because Bethlehem, you know, now it's kind of a romantic thing. We think of Bethlehem. We have all the little Christmas songs. And, but Bethlehem was a little tiny town on the backside of the desert. I mean, it was just this little nothingsville and he's 16 years old you know he's not even important enough in the family to be at the table when samuel is anointing or talking to the family he's out he's out in the field with the sheep again something that we've romanticized a little bit he's with the sheep i mean really think about it we're talking about the most mundane a boring job that you can imagine he's working he's working I mean, think about the most mundane job you could imagine right now. He's mowing, he's mowing lawns or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I've had many, I used to clean houses. He's cleaning houses. He's doing something like that. It's very mundane, very monotonous. He's, it's just him by himself. Can you imagine being out in a field with sheep for hours and hours a day? Little Davy, you know, (laughs) we think of Davy with this like, Huge. We just think of King David like he's bigger than life, but he wasn't always bigger than life. He was just like you. I mean, imagine somehow he got this reality. I would just picture him sitting out there with absolutely nothing else to do. He picks up his little guitar and he just starts singing. He's looking up at the stars and he's, his mind is just being blown at who God is. And he's, he's remembering what he's heard taught, taught to him of God. You know, the God of Abraham, and he's thinking all these, these thoughts, and he just starts singing his little love song. You know, into your hands I commit my spirit. All my tears you hold in a bottle. My times are in your hands. All these phrases from the Psalms, you can just imagine Davy just like singing them and unpacking him, and he's just, he's just going on and on, and all of a sudden his heart starts to expand, and he starts to feel mighty on the inside, and he starts to feel power. And I have a theory that the way that he killed the lion and the bear was he was singing and his heart got expanded. He had courage. And Paul talked about this too in the New Testament. He talks about how singing in the spirit actually exhorts us. It actually makes us strong. It makes us mighty. It doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. It doesn't matter how well you play your instrument. I mean, it does matter, but that's, you can have your heart enlarged no matter what you sound like. I mean, no offense, but if Mike Bickle can sing... (laughs) and have a heart that's enlarged anybody can anybody can he's i think it's the brilliance of god that mike bickle is the one leading a 24-hour house of prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of david because he gives courage to the multitudes i mean anybody can do it if mike can do it anybody can do it anybody can do it and i just picture king but i picture king david you know out there just 16 years old again and and he's just he's just I've calmed and quieted my soul. You know, he's singing, you are my shepherd, I shall not want. And he's falling in love over and over again. And the Lord gives him this revelation 
of the Lord inhabiting praise. He experienced this. He experienced it so much that he, he did the tabernacle. I mean, he believed in this reality so much that God lives in praise, that God inhabits praise so much that he wanted her to do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He wanted to get into that place of presence all the time. And he did it with music. I mean, this is stunning. This is stunning. He so bought into this reality. And I, I love it. I love this reality. Just a side note, I think about how um, Jesus came at his first coming and how he came to the shepherds. You know how the, the star came to the shepherds? I just, I love the fact that God, and they heard the angels singing. And I've been thinking about, you know, who's going to hear the song of the Lord at the end of the age? And again, we always think it's somebody else. It's like somebody out there. It's, it's somebody else. But it's you. It's the shepherds. They're, they're the ones that heard the song. They're the ones that heard the songs, the, the song of the angels at his first coming. And the same thing's going to happen at his second coming. It's going to be you working the night shift at Kmart for real. It's going to be you. It's going to be you going to the mundane, you know, going through college. It's going to be you working your mundane job. It's going to be you sitting at your keyboard frustrated because <laughs> you don't know any more than two chords. It's going to be you asking God to help you. It's going to be you. It's not somebody else down the road. I love that he's like that. I love that he doesn't look necessarily for the most skilled, although we want the skill. He's not looking for the most skilled. He's looking for the heart that's after him. He's looking for the heart. I love him for that. I love that he's like this. There's a couple of other examples of people in the Old Testament who had this reality of the Psalm 22 reality of God inhabiting praise. And I'll just kind of give you some scriptures in 2 Kings 3, uh, 13 through 15, Elisha, we all know Elisha, double portion of Elijah. He, um, the king co- comes to him and says, you know, pro- prophesy, I need to hear from the Lord. And Elisha looks at him and he's like, I don't know what have you to do with me, is what he says. He goes, what do you want, what do you want with me? He goes, bring me a musician and then I can prophesy. And I think sometimes we overlook the fact that mu- music, man, as a singer... When the music is anointed, you feel like you could fly. I mean, you could go anywhere. Sing. How many of you are just musicians? Like, not singers, but musicians. How many of you are singers and musicians? Most of you are both. I believe that the Lord, the music, I mean, music is the most, it's just powerful. And Elisha said it himself. He's like, I can't prophesy until you give me a guitar player. He's like, give me some help here. And so did Jehoshaphat. You know the story of Jehoshaphat whenever they're going into battle and da 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 and he puts the singers in front of the army. Can you imagine a global crisis? Can you imagine America is in a war and the singers go out in front of the army? I mean, can you fathom how stupid this is? <laughs> We're like, yeah, here we are. And they're singing for the Lord is good. I mean, I could just imagine looking at the tank like, oh God, I don't know about this. <laughs> I hope this is real. <laughs> But, but it was real. It actually worked. Jehoshaphat had this, re, this reality. They were like 200 years after King David. Elisha and Jehoshaphat were about 25 years apart, 200 years after. Somehow they remembered what King David was saying to them the whole time about presence. And they had this, they had this in their, their being. They had it in their DNA. I think that we need the same thing in us. I mean, can you imagine like a Katrina could you imagine in the, you know, in the arena when, during Katrina when they all were stuck in that arena for a little while and the chaos that broke out? Can you imagine if there would have been somebody, some little 
Davey, you know, in the corner who grabbed his guitar instead of his computer when he ran out of his house. And he sits there and all of a sudden he starts playing a simple love song. And then two or three people come and four or five, a couple hundred. And the whole atmosphere of the arena starts to change as God starts showing up. I mean, think about it. If a crisis hit your city, what would be the first thing? I mean, think about the flood. The flood hits your city and you're in, you're in your house and you got to get to the arena. What's the first thing that you grab? Is it your computer? Is it your diary? <laughs> What's the first thing that you grab? I'm just saying grab the guitar and run for it because the guitar is where the power is going to be. I mean, really, can you imagine if we, whenever, can you imagine being in a prison camp and one person starts singing and then the next person starts singing and the Lord shows up and he inhabits and fear is driven away. I mean, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's a weapon like no other weapon and God's given it to you. I want to cultivate it. I want to be ready in that hour of crisis. I want to be prepared with a heart, ready to lead the people in simple love songs that will tenderize your heart and stop fear. At the end of the age, I mean, fear will be the main, the main thing that will, I mean, people are just going to be freaked out. And the song of the Lord will, call, will subdue that. But the need to be faithful in the day of smallness, that's the main thing I want you to walk away with today. That's the main thing I want to walk away with today. Being faithful in the day of smallness. So you played the song and you're looking, you're looking at the guy who can't walk and he still can't walk when you're done playing. So you play the song. You have a, you have a vision for presence. You know, like King David when he played and the demons would flee. You have that vision and you're gripped with it, but it's just not working. It's not happening. You know, you're doing the stuff and it doesn't seem to be happening. The Lord wants to encourage us to be faithful in the small, be faithful in the little things, be faithful in the little melodies that he gives you and the little bit of language and the little bit of music. Be faithful to learn your, your instrument, be faithful to, to cultivate your voice, be faithful in the little things. I think it's so important to understand the initial release in the beginning stages. It's so important. In Zechariah 4, it says, who has despised the day of small things? It's ungratefulness, really, is what it is at the end of the day, which I, I'm, I'm such a, I want to get there really quick kind of person. I'm, patience is not my strong point <laughs> at all. I see the big picture and I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's get to the stadium. Let's have God show up and da 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 da. And then you come to the sky like next month. Let's do this thing. And the Lord is not like that. The Lord is, he's a God of process because in the process we're being, we're being humbled and we're becoming uh, worthy vessels in the process. We have to buy into the process. You will never make it as a prophetic singer, prophetic musician. If you don't buy into the process, I'm going to have Paula, Paula Bowers, she's sitting right there, come up. And I'm just talking about being faithful in the, the little. She's a singer on, in the house of prayer, a phenomenal singer. You've probably seen her. She sang with me last night. And talking about how to be faithful in the, in the small things. And then we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back and give you some practicals on kind of how you do it. So, Paula, we're going to talk... Kind of just tell us a little bit like how, why you, why you do what you do, how you prepare, just kind of some practicals, anything that's on your heart. Paula Bowers. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I was sitting way in the back and so I couldn't really tell, but when Misty asked the question she had, well, she asked the question, how many of you are singers? Could I see that show of hands? 
Wow. That's awesome. How many of you don't consider yourselves to be singers, but you still sing? How many of you in this room never sing? Dude. (laughs) Somebody lay hands on him. Okay. Well, I've got um, three questions that Misty wanted me to answer. You know, one of them was, why have you chosen to spend your years at IHOP singing? Um, I think as a musician or a singer, the highest calling for you is to stand before the God of the universe. In the world, the high calling that is given to you is make a CD and become really famous and get lots of money, right? What's greater than that? If you can do that, then you've achieved the highest calling. That is so far beneath what God has created you to do and what he's created you to be. Um, the Levitical priesthood, they were set aside. They were called by name to stand before the Lord, to minister to his heart. And I think that if you are a musician and a singer, you are in that same category. God is calling you by name to stand before him. Misty mentioned the scripture, uh, Psalm 22, three, where it says, um, he is enthroned in the praises of his people. And I looked up that word enthroned and in the Hebrew, it means it's a primitive root properly to sit down specifically as judge in ambush and in quiet, two contradictory terms, um, by implication to dwell, to remain causatively to settle. And I love this to marry. He is enthroned in the praises of his people. Um, God does not dwell in houses made by human hands. Solomon builds this temple and and God comes and says, I don't dwell in uh, houses made of human hands. He dwells in our heart. Now, what I'd like to do before I go on is I want every single person in this room to sing with me. Okay? Every single one of you. And I want you to let your mouth be connected with the words that you sing. And we're going to sing, oh, come, let us adore him. Okay? Everybody, if you're not going to sing, buddy. (laughs) Dennis, this includes you. Dennis is my husband back there. I teach voice, and when I met him, he was singing on a worship team, and once we got married, he didn't know I sang. Once we got married, he stopped singing. Anyway. Okay, so, everybody? Oh, come, we'll start right there, and. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. Let it ring out. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. 
He's enthroned in the praises of his people. As a prophetic singer, we can set ambushes in the spiritual realm. As a prophetic singer, you can cause a demonized heart to be refreshed and be released. That's why I'm here at IHOP, at the International House of Prayer. That's why I sing. And I will do this for the remainder of my days. There is no greater calling than to stand before the throne of God. I look as a prophet, look at a prophetic singer as, um, when I think of a prophetic singer, I think of Moses. Moses was a deliverer of men. God set it up. And a prophet, Moses was a prophet. A prophet goes before the Lord on behalf of the people. And a prophet goes before the people on behalf of God. All of the prophets went before the people and said, repent, return to the Lord your God, repent. And the prophet went to God and said, have mercy on your people, spare your people, have mercy on your people. That's what your job is as a singer, as a musician. That's what my job is. Question number one. Question number two, how do you prepare to sing prophetically? Well, um, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are called to fast, to pray, and to give, and to walk in humility, to walk in meekness. And that is, Sermon on the Mount is like the most difficult way to live. Because it's everything, it's going low in every every area of your life. And if you're a human being, that is the most difficult thing to do because we are all about self-exaltation and self-promotion. But at the house of the, in the house of prayer, the Lord has just, you know, beautifully designed the process to where we, you know, we walk in meekness. You have to walk in meekness and humility. Um, one thing that I've realized is that I am a, weak and broken human being. I mean, I thought I was weak and broken, but this past year, past 18 months of my life have been the, it's been the greatest trial of my entire life. And I realized the the depravity in my own heart. Some of you younger ones here, you may not know just, just where your heart, you know, how low your heart really can go. I mean, the Bible says you know, the, the heart of man is desperately wicked, desperately wicked. Who, who can know it? Every single one of us in here, I mean, we're broken, weak, and fragile. And we stand only by the grace of God. And sometimes the Lord, sometimes God removes his hand of grace on our lives so that we can get a glimpse of, of really who we are and how broken and how desperately we need him. Um, so that's one way to prepare, um, consuming the word of God. You must consume the word of God. The testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. Um, yeah, Misty made a comment about musicians, you know, a musician who has the spirit of prayer on them is really rare. A musician who knows the word of God is really, really rare in the earth, you know, 
um, your instrument is really, really important. I agree. You know, you want to, you want to move in excellence, but if you don't know the word of God, you're not going to be used to deliver men. You might be, but that will not be the rule. It might be an exception. You must consume the word of God. And if you don't know where to begin, begin with the book of Psalms. They were meant to be sung. Learn them. Make it your goal to memorize all 150 of them. You can read through the book of Psalms. Um, you go through like you can read through them like in 14, 16 days. Read through the entire book. You know, start at verse one. Go or not verse one, but chapter one, eleven, twenty-one, thirty-one, forty-one, fifty-one, all the way to the end. Day two. You know, and start start at the beginning of the month, January first. You know. So fast, pray, give, and consume the word of God. Question number three. Uh, how do you practically sing the prophetic during an IHOP worship set? Well, some people get word pictures, and they sing what they see. For me, I listen. First of all, I begin my two-hour set by saying, Holy Spirit, help me, because I desperately need you. I need the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation upon my heart. Um, sing for me for the sake of the people, you know, the people who are sitting in the congregation, you know, last night, those of you who were, who were, um, here for Misty's set, you know, my heart was God, you know, what do you want to say to these people? You know, what do you want to sing over these people through our team? You know, what do you want Misty to sing? You know, so my heart is for the sake of the people. And then what happens is, um, I, I'll hear scriptures that will come up into, into my spirit. And, um, as I'm listening to the other singers and what they're singing, you know, I go ahead and join in with their song, with my scripture. And I'm on three different teams. There are some teams where the, uh, the flow just moves really, really effortlessly. Actually, it happens on all of my teams where there are times when it flows effortlessly. The scriptures are flowing. Then there are other times where there is nothing. You know, I am dry as a bone. I ain't got nothing, you know. And you just press through and you just go on and you go, well, okay, that was hard. That was the hardest two hours of my life, you know. I've got another set that's coming up in a couple hours and we'll see where that goes. Sometimes it can be the fastest two hours of your entire life, you know. Um... One thing that happened to me, um, this is really a really powerful testimony that I need to visit a little bit more often. Um, I was sitting in the prayer room. This was when we were back in the, the trailer in the early days. And I was living in Phoenix at the time. And I would come to visit um, about once a month. And I would stay, try to stay anywhere from two to three weeks, one to three weeks, I guess. And so I had just come in and uh, Deborah Hebert, has, has she spoken yet? She'll speak. She'll speak tomorrow. You'll hear her. You'll want to hear Deborah. She came up to me and said, Paula, do you want to sing? And I said, no, I need to sit and, and listen and find out, you know, what, where is the Lord? And so for two hours I sat there and I just began, I just opened my Bible and started studying a passage that kind of jumped out at me and I did cross-referencing. Okay. And I had maybe 25 scriptures at the end of that. And where I landed was Jeremiah 315. It says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. 
And I thought, well, man, that doesn't have anything to do with what they're, they've been singing the last two hours. But anyway, I got up to sing. Misty happened to be singing on that set and that, on that day. Mike Bickle, I think, had been out of town. He had just come back into town maybe that day or had been back maybe just a couple days. I think it was that day. Do you remember that day? You might, once I finish telling the story. Um, anyway, um, I get up there and, you know, we're kind of dancing with the spirit and singing different things. And I sing this passage, Jeremiah 3.15. And I remember Mike pacing, you know, kind of looking at me going. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, I've done something wrong, you know, because he's like really intense, you know. And he's going, develop that or develop that. And Misty kind of jumped on a little bit. Do you remember that now? <laughs> I had no clue what he was doing. So we kind of sang around it a little bit. I mean, really poorly, you know. Well, later, after the set was over, he pulled us in the back room, and we were getting ready to do a conference. And I think it was here. And um, he goes, okay, I just wanted to tell you that um, I just I just came back from being in town. I was spending time in my in my hotel room preparing for this conference. And Jeremiah three fifteen was the passage that the Lord gave me that He spoke to my heart, and this was going to be the th- main thrust of His message at this conference. And um, what was so interesting was a what what he was saying was setting my destiny was tying in with some of the other scripture passages that i had read prior to my getting up there and singing so i think that that is that is like a huge uh, signpost for me, Paula, ding, 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 ding. This is what you need to be doing. You sit with, you sit in your study and you, you ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to say to your people? What do you want to say through me to your people and lead me and guide me no matter how strange or how foreign you may think that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm reading something in Obadiah. Is that a, is that even a book? It is it? Oh, Philemon, you know, how many of you guys read those books? <laughs> anyway, I have one minute left. Uh, okay. That's another way to prepare for prophetic singing. <laughs> what it boils down to is for me, consuming the word of God is the most important thing that you need to do. Let that be first. Let your instrument, let your voice be second. Amen. Bless you all.